Well, in the world of linguistics, there is something called a conditional statement. Have you heard of them? Conditional statements? Uh, they're essentially sentences expressing some hypothetical situation and its consequence. And, or, or to put it more simply, they're if-then statements. Okay, so for example, I might say something like, um, if the Bulldogs win the footy grand final tonight, then I will be very unhappy. Okay, that is a conditional statement. There is a hypothetical situation. If the Bulldogs win the football grand final tonight, boo, uh, then there's the, 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 the consequence. I will be very unhappy. Now, as a parent, the fact is 90% of the things I say are conditional statements. If you don't eat your dinner, then there will be no dessert. If I have to endure one more episode of Blue's Clues, then my brain will explode. You get the idea? Conditional statements. Well, today we continue on in our series through the book of Deuteronomy. And today we reach chapters 27 and 28, which are essentially two big conditional statements, two big if-then statements. Now, essentially, the two chapters can be summed up like this. God says to the Israelites, if you obey my commands, then you will be blessed. And if you don't obey my commands, then you'll be cursed. And, and that is basically today's two chapters in a nutshell. And you could probably all go home now, but uh, where would the fun be in that? So let's, let's look at these two chapters in a little bit more detail together. If you don't already have a Bible open at Deuteronomy chapter 27, can I encourage you to grab a Bible now and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 27. It's page 143 of the small print Bibles, 313 of the large print Bibles. And as you're looking that up, let me remind you that the Israelites are currently standing right on the edge of the promised land. Remember, they've, they've come out of captivity in Egypt. Uh, they've been wandering through the desert for the last 40 years. And now they're about to go on into the promised land. And they're going to settle down there once and for all. But before they do, Moses is reminding them of the law of God by which they are to live when they enter the land. Uh, that, that's what the last 22 chapters of Deuteronomy have been about. Moses reminding them of the laws God had given to their parents some 40 years earlier. And now Moses wants to emphasise the importance of the Israelites actually obeying those laws. Uh, Moses knows that he himself will not get to enter the promised land. And so he takes this opportunity to, to tell the Israelites uh, the first things they must do when they enter. And he tells them that the very first thing they must do when they enter the land is find some large stones and then coat them with plaster and then write on them all God's laws. Then they're to set up those stones on Mount Ebal. Uh, they're to build an altar. They're to sacrifice some animals. And then they're to party together there in the presence of God. He read with me from chapter 27, verse 1. 27, 1. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep all these commands that I give you today. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
just as the Lord your God, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Evil, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool upon them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. So you see, the very first thing that these Israelites must do when they enter the promised land is set up a permanent reminder of the laws by which they're to live. And then in full view of those laws, uh, they're to celebrate. That's right, they're to celebrate. Celebrate their relationship with God and celebrate their possession of the land. You see, these Israelites are now God's special people. uh, And God gives them this land as a gift. You know, they they didn't do anything to deserve it. It, it's, It's a gift and a good gift. A land flowing with milk and honey. But this scene on Mount Ebal, it shows us something. It shows us that this gift comes with certain responsibilities. That the Israelites need to possess this gift of God, God's way. They need to obey his laws. See, relationship with God is a gift. It's a wonderful gift. But it's not to be taken lightly. It's a gift, but it carries certain responsibilities. You know, just like back in the Garden of Eden, do you remember? In the Garden of Eden, where Adam Adam and Eve enjoyed the privilege of of relationship with God, and they enjoyed life in the beautiful garden. But even there, those privileges came with responsibilities, didn't they? they? They had to live in the garden God's way. If they did then life and prosperity would be theirs. But if they didn't, well, I think we all know how it turned out for Adam and Eve, don't we? And so now, upon entering the promised land, God puts a choice before the Israelites. The choice of living his way or of living their own way. With the result either being blessings or curses. And to make this choice abundantly clear, Moses instructs the Israelites to perform a kind of object lesson when they enter the land. One that involves all of the people. He tells half of them to go and stand on Mount Gerizim. And he tells the other half to go and stand on Mount Ebal. Here's a picture of the the two mountains up on the screen. And then he instructs the ones on Mount Gerizim to pronounce all the blessings of obedience, uh, to pronounce all the wonderful things that come from obeying God. And then he gets the ones on Mount Ebal to pronounce the the curses of disobedience, all the terrible things that come from breaking God's laws. You see, it's an unforgettable picture, isn't it, Of of the two options that lie before them. We've got obedience and blessings or disobedience and curses. It's a really physical object lesson, really tactile. It involves all the people. So no one can miss the point here. 
And afterwards, these two mountains, I guess, would always stand as reminders for future generations of their two options, blessings or curses. And then after this takes place, uh, the priests, the the Levites, are are to read out 12 specific acts that deserve God's curse. And as each one is read out, all the people, all the Israelites, respond by saying, Amen. In other words, yep, we understand and, and we agree that anyone who does these things deserves to be cursed by God. But what is it about these 12 acts that set them out for special mention here? Well, it's a bit hard to say definitively, but it seems that these acts are ones that can be, well, done in secret. You know, so for example, read with me from verse 14. Verse 14. Uh, The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, or sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Or verse 20, Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonours his father's bed. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Or verse 24, Cursed is the man who kills his neighbour secretly. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And on it goes. So you see, there seems to be a certain secrecy about these particular actions. But as the Israelites declare, Amen, they're acknowledging that whether their disobedience is, is known by others or not, that it is still a crime against God and worthy of punishment. And so life in the promised land is a great gift, but it carries certain responsibilities. It requires obedience to God. And if the Israelites obey, they'll be blessed. But if they disobey, then they will be cursed. But what exactly does it mean for the Israelites to be blessed or cursed by God? What does that look like? Well, we're told very clearly what it looks like in chapter 28. Uh, Firstly, we're told what the blessings look like. And just like in the Garden of Eden, they're all about life and prosperity. You read with me from chapter 28, verse 1. Chapter 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in, and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They'll come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven and so on and and so forth. But I'm sure you get the idea. If the Israelites obey God, then they will be, well, abundantly blessed by him. These are wonderful, beautiful promises of life and of abundance and prosperity. 
But what will the curses look like? Well, if the Israelites don't obey God's laws, it's not such a pretty picture. You read with me from chapter 28, verse 15. 28, 15. And I dare say uh, these have to be some of the most horrific verses in the whole Bible. From verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases Until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease. Down to verse 24. 24, The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. Uh, Verse 27. The the Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumours, festering sores and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness and confusion of mind. Verse 37. You will become a thing of horror and an object of scorn and ridicule to all the nations where the Lord will drive you. Verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. Verse 52. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. Verse 53. Because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children. And he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. The most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot, will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son or daughter the afterbirth from her womb and the children she bears, for she intends to eat them secretly during the siege and in the distress that your enemy will inflict on you in your cities. You had enough yet? Well, God hasn't finished yet, so let's keep on going. Verse 61. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. You who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God. Verse 66. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. Verse 68, the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. You get the idea? If the Israelites disobey, if they choose to live life their own way, rather than God's, then 
then they will be cursed. God promises they'll face destitution and suffering, exile and death. And so here in these chapters, God lays before these Israelites, in essence, there were two ways to live. Each one with their own staggering consequences. It's really not complicated, is it? It's really quite simple. If they obey, they will be abundantly blessed. But if they disobey, they will be utterly cursed. And that is today's passage. Aren't you glad we didn't choose the nutshell version? Of course, as the pages of the Bible turn and we read about the history of the Israelites in the land, we see which of these two choices they ended up making. And so, sadly, they they chose not to live God's way, but rather their own. They broke God's laws over and over again. So time and time again, God graciously sent prophets warning the people, pleading with them, to turn back to him, to stop with their disobedience. But hard-heartedly, they refused to heed the warnings. And so in time, God faithfully kept his promise and brought all these terrible curses upon his people. But friends, praise God. Praise God that this is not where the story ends. Because even though Israel gave up following God, God in his grace never gave up on them. Instead, he made a way for them to be restored. And that way was Jesus, the one and only truly perfect Israelite. The only one who obeyed all God's laws All of the time. And so the only one deserving of all God's blessings and none of his curses. But the one who in the greatest act of sacrifice ever took upon himself the curse of God. On the cross, Jesus faced hunger and pain and thirst and oppression And defeat by his enemies and anguish and death and ultimately rejection from God. Yet he did that willingly in order to offer the blessings of God to all those who now put their faith in him. As it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, up on the screen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. See, friends, the blessings of God rightly belong to those who obey him. The curses of God rightly belong to those who disobey. But in his death, Jesus drew up a new covenant, a new agreement, where all who put their trust in him 
get to exchange God's curses for his blessings. Oh, it is extraordinary. And so it is that when we put our trust in Jesus, when we make the choice to follow him, God removes his curse from us and pours out his blessings instead. Does that mean that we're now guaranteed prosperity and, and, and health as the Israelites were in the old covenant? Well, some Christians seem to think so and, and they promote the so-called prosperity gospel where if you trust in Jesus, then life is, is all health and, and wealth and success and where if you're not experiencing that, then, well, you must have sinned somehow. But the fact is that prosperity gospel teaching is neither realistic nor biblical. Instead, the promises of blessing in the new covenant are primarily spiritual. Uh, Have a look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3, up on the screen, where it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So every spiritual blessing is ours. Right now, right now. In Christ. What are these spiritual blessings? Well, first and foremost, they have to do with our relationship with God. And and they are the most precious gift he could ever give us. Uh, To name just a few. Uh, To name just a few. Now, uh, we have the blessing of having been uh, washed clean of all of our sin. Okay? All of our sin, past, present, future, gone. Think about that for a moment. Nothing you have ever done, nothing you will ever do, will ever be held against you, Christian, by the judge of the universe. What a blessing. Or think about this, now... We have the blessing of having God as our loving Heavenly Father. Now, we are His children. Think about that. Now, we get to call the God of the universe Daddy. Now, we have the blessing of God's Holy Spirit, get this, dwelling inside us, making his home in us, helping us to live God's way, guaranteeing us eternal life. And now we have the blessing of a place prepared for us when we die. No longer do we need fear, death and hell. No. Now we have hope. Compare a Christian funeral to that of a non-Christian funeral. And you'll know the blessing that I'm talking about here. Now we have the blessing of prayer. 
It's being able to boldly bring all of our concerns, big and small, all of our concerns, all of our requests before the throne of the universe. Knowing that God is always glad to hear from us. And that he will always answer in a way that is best for us. And now we have the blessing of knowing that every single thing that happens to us in this life has been allowed by our sovereign and loving God. That's right, even the bad stuff. And we have his word that he'll never, ever give us more than we can bear. And that he'll always work it out for good, somehow. You see, Christian, all these spiritual blessings and many, many more are now yours through Jesus. So praise God for him. But if all these blessings are already ours through Jesus' obedience, you know, I guess it begs the question, does our own obedience make any difference now? Or, or to put it another way, will obeying God make our lives better? You know, as it did for the Israelites. You know, I think that's actually quite a complex question to answer. Because on the one hand, there are no promises for us as Christians that we will be healthier or wealthier if we obey God. But on the other hand, living according to God's commands does often bring great benefits, including in the areas of health and wealth. Now, I want you to hear me very carefully here. Because okay, I'm not suggesting for a moment that this is something mechanical or formulaic, you know, where as long as you obey God, then you will definitely be wealthier or healthier. There are no guarantees here, okay? There are certainly lots of very happy, wealthy, healthy non-Christians out there. And God in his wisdom can choose to take away your health or your wealth at any time he chooses for reasons known only to him. There are no guarantees here. But, you know, as a general observation, choosing to live God's way really does bring great benefits. And so let, let's think uh, about some of the, the health benefits for a moment, shall we? Let's think about some of the health benefits. So, for example, the, the fact is those who are obeying God by keeping sex to within marriage, you know, probably won't catch STDs. You know, that, that's just the reality, They'll be healthier in that respect. Or, another example, those that choose to obey God by, by forgiving others. Those that choose to forgive those who have hurt them, rather than living consumed by bitterness, will probably come to have a, a peace of mind that will no doubt lower chances of, of getting stress-related illnesses. Or you think of another one, um, uh, those that obey God when it comes to alcohol. You know, not drinking alcohol to excess will probably give you a healthier liver. You get the point? There, there really are health benefits that come from obeying God. Or, or, or think about the potential wealth benefits that come from living his way. 
You know, when you obey God by, by working hard or studying hard, you know, uh, working uh, hard for God, doing it for him r- rather than from people, for, for people, then, you know, you will probably, that hard work will probably be recognised by your boss or, or by your teachers. And you may well be rewarded for it. Or, when you obey God and tell the truth, when you're honest in all of your business dealings, when you keep your word, when you charge people fairly, then you know what? Your clients will probably come to trust you and will probably want to do more business with you. Or, when you treat your customers or you you treat your patients as, as real people, precious to God, when you sincerely care for them, you know what? They'll probably want to come back and see you again in the future. You see, there are all sorts of potential health and wealth benefits that come when we obey God's commands. And this is just to name a very few. Now, of course, I I know that as soon as the service finishes tonight that somebody is bound to come up to me to tell me about some Christian that they know who who always worked hard but never got a promotion, who never drank but developed liver cirrhosis, who kept sex for marriage but got an STD during a blood transfusion, who was fired from their job for telling the truth and who was always forgiving, never bitter, but died young from a heart attack. Somebody's going to come up and tell me about that Christian. Somebody else is going to come up and tell me about some non-Christian who you know, lived into their 90s in a great big mansion surrounded by friends and family who loved them dearly. So hear me again. This is not mechanical, it's not formulaic, there are no guarantees, but as a general observation, the faithful Christian life has lots of benefits, lots of blessings. But you know, even if the blessings don't come as expected, Obedience is still always the best path to choose. Because at the end of the day, you still have the blessing of knowing that God is pleased with you and that he will always use your obedience somehow for his kingdom, probably in ways that you could never even imagine. And you know, friends, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's really all about loving him, not the blessings. So, okay then, what are we going to do with all this stuff that we've thought about tonight? Well, we've seen tonight that Deuteronomy chapters 27 to 28 are essentially two big conditional statements, two big if-then statements. If the Israelites obeyed God's laws, then they would be blessed. But if they disobeyed, then they would be cursed. You know, it wasn't hard to understand. But sadly, in the end, the Israelites chose their own way rather than God's. And in the end, they faced all the dreadful curses God had promised. Friends, in Jesus' death, we are now offered a new covenant. Two more conditional statements that really aren't all that difficult to understand, not that hard to understand. If we now call on Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then we exchange God's curse for his blessing. 
we have full relationship with God and the many great benefits of the Christian life, life, both in this life and in the life to come. But if we go on living our own way, rejecting Jesus, then, just like the Israelites, we will face the dreadful consequences of God's judgment. Friend, the choice before you is very clear. It's a mountain of blessings or a mountain of curses. Choose the blessings. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. Well, our Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. That in his death on the cross, he made the most extraordinary sacrifice. Thank you that though he was always obedient, he willingly died under your curse so that we who now trust in him can have your blessings. Lord, thank you for all those blessings that are now ours in Christ, for the joy and hope and peace we have in you. Thank you also for the many benefits that come to us as we choose to faithfully obey you. Father, if there are any among us here tonight who are yet to call on Jesus as Lord and Saviour, please work in their hearts that they might make that decision right now to follow Jesus. Father, we thank and praise you for your Son and ask that you would help us all to faithfully obey him to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.